Look at the adjective. Play. Now is the franchise going to take the Viagra? Oh, going to put the butts in the seat. Hello there, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode 103 of Because WCW, the podcast where the big boys play. My name is the Twisted Genius Dean Ayers, and I'm joined as ever by my esteemed and long-suffering colleague, the DAZN journalist, Liam Hap. Liam, you've had a busy old week. How are you holding up? Oh, I'm, I'm how I always am when we finally sit down to this podcast in, in modern times, Dean. I am absolutely shattered. How are we still doing this? I'm not even sure if we're at a, you know, the golden age of podcasting is over. I'm not even sure we're at a silver age anymore. We may be down to like tin. We're, we're down to the dregs just like our petrol caps. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. It's the tin era of podcasting, and I feel like the tin man in desperate need of oil. Yeah, if you're uh, if you're listening to this from anywhere in the world apart from the UK, all you need to know is that basically we've run out of petrol. Uh, no one can get petrol. That's all we're talking about, uh, unless, you ride, unless you ride a bike, in which case you look even more smug than usual. Right. Um, we have got ourselves a special guest on again today, and we are doing a pay-per-view review for the first time in a little while. Yeah. So I'm quite excited about this one. I have, I have sat down. I've watched it. I've done my notes. Um, we're, we're, we're traveling, we're traveling uh, back to, well, we'll, we'll, we'll cover what pay-per-view we're, we're talking in a moment. But I would like to welcome onto the show for the first time a new guest, podcaster Richard Benson, better known to you and I as Benno. Good evening, Benno. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, mate. I'm glad you could uh, mine the dregs of a uh, podcast and he ended up with me. I think that's uh, it's only fair. It's the uh, <laughs> welcome to the bottom, bottom of the barrel of Brit Res, but uh, no, made up to me, lads. It's a uh, big fan of, uh, of what you guys do. And yeah, uh, made up to uh, to meet you a few weeks ago and, uh, and get to be invited to do this. It was good. Yeah, we met you for the we finally met in, in the flesh at the uh, Hooked on Wrestling AEW full, uh, full gear all out party um, mm. up, yeah, a few weeks ago. Good fun that was. Anthony Agogo turned up. Wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Um, so we have we have listeners from all over the world, including, of course, a small percentage from parts unknown. For those those people who may not be familiar with you what tell us tell us what you do where we can hear you uh, apart from this show obviously um and and where to find you on the socials yeah totally well yeah for my sins uh cover british wrestling still um there is still a scene to cover uh we could do it all over at postwrestling.com uh the british wrestling experience uh where we uh, monthly round up the uh, the news and brit res and reviews and such as uh, as shows are coming back uh my main podcast is uh the grapple podcast grapple spotlight uh grapple is uh the uh, the rating app out there where yeah, you can throw your your star ratings in and play dave Meltzer, and we are the uh, official podcast of that and we kind of do a it's more of a, a look at the world of wrestling aw um, some wwe when we can be bothered 
um, <laughs> bit of New Japan. Also, one we can be bothered um, considering the uh, the state of that G1 this year. Um, but yeah, we cover uh, we cover all kinds over there. Um, we've got a Patreon over there as well at uh, patreon.com slash grapple. But other than that, I'm I'm just that dickhead on Twitter at Benson Richard E. So um, <laughs> you can find me. Uh, you can find me over there too. You are a good man to follow on Twitter over the last uh, <laughs> 18 months or so. Never, This man does not hold back on his forthright opinions, and I'm all for that on Twitter. Beautiful stuff. Um, so you have chosen uh, for this pay-per-view review Mayhem 99, and I do have to ask you, for God's sake, why? Did I choose it? <laughs> I didn't know I did. <laughs> yeah, sorry guys, this may have been a little bit of me. So oh, this is I'll, you. I'll explain Liam, this. You complete bastard. I'll, I'll explain this? this. There is a reason. Um, obviously, First of all, I, I, can I just can I just apologise to Benno and clear his good name? <laughs> I appreciate. I that. thought he selected this. See, I just thought it was punishment for me losing the quiz to you guys at the uh, the AW party. <laughs> yeah, I suppose still we should apologise for that. I mean, uh, I mean, we should apologise <laughs> to everyone who attended the the All Out Hooked on London party and participated in the traditional quiz because it was kind of loaded. You had a team that comprised of myself, Dean. Um, celebrity mastermind winner and former guest Adam Pearson and British wrestling legend and former guest Doug Williams. So yes. we, we See, it I... wasn't fair on anyone. But, but one good thing that <laughs> did... Looked... Go on, I was going to say, I looked, I looked over at that table and I just thought, oh, I've got no chance. I was on my... <laughs> I've got to throw it out there. I was on my own. I was looking around at the room thinking, ah, some casual AEW fans here. I think I'm going to do all right. And I looked at your table and like you say, I saw Dean, I saw Doug Williams and thought, yeah, no chance here. So I'm just proud that came second. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it reminds me of, it was like those scenes, you know, where there's a Survivor Series match and it boils down to like three or four and one. And the guy, <laughs> and the guy across the ring just looks at it and he's like, oh, fuck, how do I do this? Yeah. So they, they somehow get in like a sneaky pinfall, whittle it down by one, and then they just get overwhelmed by the numbers. So I felt bad <laughs> about that. But obviously this was the place where we got to meet you in person. Uh, mm. And it was also the place where, you know, we watched a, a hell of a show, AEW uh, getting all the headlines at the minute for giving some real competition. And there was a funny stat about that pay-per-view because All Out 2021 ended up doing uh, the best number, I believe I read, the best number performance of any non-WWE pay-per-view since Mayhem 1999 WCW so we decided decided, even though we usually give our guests the free reign to pick something and we'll call this an IOU Benno because if we have you on a second time we won't stand in your way just pick whatever you want from our remaining list we won't try and compromise you this time Uh, but this time (laughs) we've got this little link and I thought it was a great thing to do because we're all big AEW fans and we enjoyed the show and there's just this lovely little segue it makes a world of sense and then I turned it on and I remembered, oh crap, it's a Vince Russo pay-per-view. So, my bad, guys. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'd well, like to say I would have picked a Russo pay-per-view anyway, but <laughs> not in this evidence. Masochist. Listen up, slap nuts. That's right. This is Jeff Jarrett, the chosen one. And you're listening to Because WCW. Now, choke on that. This this was um yeah this is in November so this would have replaced the old World War three three ring battle royal um yeah, format that correct. they've had for the last 
the last few years. Yeah, so um, so just to give you the background and the, and the beginning of this show, it's uh, November the 21st, 1999, and we are coming at you from the Air Canada Centre in Toronto, Canada, and the highlight of the show is the culmination of a 32-man tournament to crown a new WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, we, we see a video package at the beginning. Sting was stripped of the title after he laid out the referee, Charles Robinson, with a scorpion death drop at the end of Halloween Havoc 99. Um, the tournament, the whole tournament so far is recapped. It's littered with interference. Um, Medusa goes through to the next round despite losing in the first round. Now, I don't get this. Is this just me, or does it not make sense that Sting, who was stripped of the title, is allowed to enter the tournament to regain the title he was stripped of? Oh, is that, that just me? That's the only thing that doesn't make sense, is it, Dean? Is it? That's <laughs> no, the only well, thing no. in that entire recap. Because straight away, as this show started, and she, poor old Tony Schiavone is trying to run through everything that's happened in this tournament, and it's one of the most long and confusing intros to a wrestling show I've ever seen. And as you said, there's you, they've entered in a female wrestler for the, for the lulls. She got beat. She got put back in anyway. Um, they decided to make random matches of the... Uh, of the tournament cage matches and no DQ matches and, and all this. I think the U S title changed hands several times in the tournament. Uh, oh, they're just, and, and just hearing him recap it, it was just like a long suffering situation, but yeah, it does. It does make no sense to have him entered in it when you've stripped him. But the thing here, and, and the most important thing that struck, I don't know if you guys thought this, but, Russo's not long started here. He's he, there's this whole thing where he, you know, people are still buying that he was the he was the reason that WWE was cool again and was doing yep. well again, and it became evident that that the that the element of what he brought to the table that he was bringing from those WWE to those W was the Deadly Game Tournament. Because yeah, right, as yes. as he would proceed to do, his thing would be to vacate a bunch of titles and crown a tournament to crown new champion. And then vacate them and crown new tournament to crown new champion. And then vacate them to crown new yeah. tournament to crown... And so, for some reason, it didn't really come across as the shocking, swerve, exciting content he thought he was producing. Somehow. Yep. That's been through, so. Yeah. Yep. Couple of good ideas, and he just went back to the well and back to the well. Like... I was trying to like place myself like where I was like in life, kind of like watching WCW at this point, and whether I bought that. The and I think I did. I definitely being a Power Slam reader at the time, like mm. obviously knew the uh, you know Vince Russo. It wasn't all great with Vince Russo, but definitely believed the uh, the idea that he was the the brains behind uh, you know the WWF at that point. But I mean, you can look back at it at it twenty twenty one eyes now and kind of go, well, did WWF get better when he left? Yes. Did WCW get worse? Well, based on this pay-per-view, <laughs> also yes. Um, and yeah, it was just a matter of him just slotting wrestlers into ideas he'd had previously. Oh, Booker T, yeah, you can be the Rock. You know, we oh yeah, we can just do deadly game. It was just typical Russo. Yeah, well, I will say one one pleasantly surprising move, unless there's something I've missed here in the um in the intro package, was that Chris Benoit appears to have beaten Scott Hall reasonably cleanly um to get into the in, into the semi-finals yeah that was that was very much his fear was he was always a big proprietor of um uh, of elevating the status and the tv time of um 
of guys who were under that famous glass ceiling that was the big yes. problem in WCW before him. Mm-hmm. So obviously he provided a, he provided a welcome tonic for, from that to a certain extent. But then obviously if you do it in such a bad way, it just leaves a it actually leaves a bit of a stigma and a and a stench on those you're pushing. Yeah. So um, our semi-finals are set. Uh, we've got corporate favourite Jeff Jarrett facing Benoit and uh, Bret Hart taking on Sting. So our commentators for the evening are a very smart-looking Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Um, and after another lengthy intro for them, let's face it, Liam, what would it be, uh, what kind of a, a WCW pay-per-view would it be without us spending about 10 minutes before the show actually has a wrestling match on it? Yep, let's set the pyro off, let's welcome the live crowd in, let's get them really amped up, and then let's recap a bunch of shit for 10 minutes. That's a fantastic strategy, isn't it? Yeah, it gets crowds, veins are pumping. So match number one, it is the first semi-final in the WCW World title tournament, Jeff Jarrett versus Chris Benoit. Uh, Shivani notes that the powers that be, who are this group, mysterious sort of group running WCW, which is basically Russo, have booked their favourite Jarrett in the first match to give him plenty of time to rest ahead of the final, assuming he makes it through, of course. Uh, the Toronto crowd is raucous from the get-go. They're solidly behind their fellow countrymen. Benoit also has a maple leaf on his tights just for good measure. Um, the match starts out at a very fast pace. Um, Benoit is in total control to the low blow on the floor from Jarrett drops Benoit. Jarrett slows the pace of the match down with a sleeper hold to bring the crowd back down again. Benoit brings the crowd back up again with his rolling German suplexes, which gets a close two count. Um, at this point, the Harris brothers, a.k.a. Uh, creative control in their matching suits and sunglasses, stroll down to ringside. Jarrett lands a top rope cross body block, but Benoit rolls through for a two count. Benoit reverses a back suplex attempt with one of his own, goes up top, lands the diving headbutt, but one of creative control pull him off. Not like that. Um, then while the ref's back is turned, the other brother beats up Benoit. Um, this brings out Dustin Rhodes, who hops the rail. He pulls Jarrett off of a pinfall attempt on Benoit, beats up creative control as they slide Jarrett's guitar into the ring. While poor ref Charles Robinson is trying to restore order at ringside, Benoit grabs Jarrett in a waist lock while Jarrett's got his guitar. Jarrett then drops the guitar. Benoit picks it up, smacks Jarrett over the head with it to get the match-winning pinfall in 9 minutes, 27 seconds. He then gets assaulted further by creative control and a now-bleeding Jeff Jarrett. But, hey, at least he's got plenty of time to recover. So, go to you first, Benno. What do you make of this opener? Yeah, I mean, just listening to your listed off there, it's the, the summary is that, isn't it? They had a, they had a very good looking match for a while and then the Russo bullshit had to happen like you know I, I, I loved you know seeing Ben welcome out there going full hometown hero like you say with the uh, the Canadian flag pants it felt like Jarrett had his, his working boots on and things were going so well and you know Vince Russo is like oh, what would make this better the Harris boys um, let's throw them out there in a couple of suits and I don't even know what were the names it wasn't even Ron and Don Harris it was, was, it? It was like Gerald and Patrick <laughs> was it Gerald, and Gerald Patrick? Briscoe and Pat Pass oh, yeah. oh, I oh, didn't it, even pick up on that it gets it gets better because I remember this from what we always used to discuss the old Channel 5 Worldwide uh, hour 
um, mm. around this time. Uh, Scott Hudson. So I remember famously he, he said that their full names were Gerald Fitzpatrick and Patrick Fitzgerald. <laughs> See, I kind of like that. For <laughs> fuck's sake. <laughs> I still yeah, don't them. Bear in mind, though, that, you know, this kind of shit's been going on for, for you know, the dec- at least the decade beforehand, you know, with, with, with Ted DiBiase's uh, manservant being called Virgil. It's, it's been going on a long, old while. But, yes, this, this becomes, and I think throughout the whole show, it, it becomes a lot more blatant. Definitely, yeah. There's other other nods there as well, aren't there? But yeah, for some reason the Harris boys were always like Vince Russo favourites, which I, I never got. They they were always guaranteed a, a job if uh, if Vince Russo was around. Um, nice to see Dustin uh, Rhodes, I suppose, uh, on the other side. But yeah, all of the nonsense with the guitar and then the the endless beatdown afterwards was just yeah distracting from what, if left alone, would have been you know a nice little three and a half star match. Instead, yeah. it was a Vince Russo match. I think that's that's not going to be the last time you say that sort of thing tonight. But uh, yeah, Liam, after the opener, this one was this the, the crowd are up for it. Yeah, d- despite that usual uh, segue after the pyro that we mentioned, they, they were very much up for it. And I think I think that was partly because e- even though there was that gap, that ill-advised gap, and they picked the perfect match of everything on deck, this was the one to put first. Obviously, you've got the fact you have two semi-finals, and so you want to get them out of the way and give the guys enough time to rest behind the scenes. But we don't get the second semi-final for a little bit. But you did acknowledge there, was, there seemed to be a bit of a story there. Like they, they yeah. wanted to make sure that Jarrett was favourable, assuming he would go through. So fair enough. But yeah, this is absolutely the first match to have. And this will be the start of something that that Bowl Rights should have been one of the one of the early highlights of the Vince Russo reign. Because these two clearly had instant chemistry. They're both hard workers. They they yeah. they they were in sync. They they could wrestle just every week and still produce something new. Uh, Jeff Jarrett was never going to be the star that Russo was desperately trying to make him, but he was no. absolutely top shelf in the ring. So to have him in a what would evolve into a US title feud because these two would fight for the vacant belt in a ladder match at the next pay per view, and they were supposed to have a big um, a free falls or free match thing, the Triple Threat Theatre sold out 2000 until Jeff Jarrett got a concussion. Uh, this should have really been something that set the, helped set the tone in a good way for some of this. So it was good to watch those two wrestle. You had all the shenanigans and all that, but the one thing I'll give them a pass for it is that it's the first match. You're, you're trying to stick it to the popular one, and the popular one wins the match to a big roar from the crowd. And if that was the only match or one of two matches that had outside interference by the copious truckload on it, I'd say fair enough. But... Uh, well, we'll see how this unfolds, shall we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's a really interesting point you made earlier there. You said about, you know, you, that, that Jarrett and Benoit could could face each other multiple times and have a different match each time. Now, I think that goes back to, you think about their their wrestling roots. Yeah, you, know, you got Jarrett in, in Memphis. You had Benoit in, in Stampede and then also coming over to um, do a few matches in continental Europe. And... Those territories, all of them, are where you are wrestling in front of the same crowd for 
consecutive weeks or months you you, you generally you're not you know you're not touring massively you're in those in the, the same places so you have to mix it up especially in the european tournaments where they literally would do like 20 nights in a row in the same venue in a, a tent in bremen or hamburg or whatever and I, I think that is where they would get that from that teaches them how to do that yeah and they had the uh, work rate they're clearly a passion for the business uh, and the natural ability to to be able to pull it off as well. They had all the tools to just be those guys who were, were never going to be mere mid card. There, there was always that that level. People call it upper mid card, and there were two mm. guys that were just such naturals for it. And the, as soon as they found each other in this match, I'm wondering, uh, may maybe the guys backstage, and we know Russo had final say, but uh, there would be the agents and all that. But maybe collectively, those those overseeing things probably saw this match and saw the. the the way they were just natural bedfellows and that might have led yeah. to this decision later on to run that match. I know the the, the, the withdrawal with Scott Hall at Starcade made a bit more of a last minute thing, but they must have looked at this match and thought, yeah, yeah, we're going to run this back. Absolutely. We can have some fun yeah. with this. Cool. Okay, so um, up next, Mike Tanay is backstage with Cruiserweight Champion Disco Inferno, who is defending against Evan Courageous next. Um, and for no apparent reason, Disco seems to have put up $25,000 of his own money on the line, as well as the title. Um, he then gets beaten up by a returning Jarrett and Creative Control. Um, and it's also worth noting that the age-old WCW sound problems uh, prevail with us because the mic keeps cutting out. Um, so, next match, number two, it is for the WCW Cruiserweight title. Evan Courageous, accompanied by Medusa, uh, takes on the champion. Disco Inferno, accompanied by Tony Marinara. Um, I'm, right, I'm right in saying that he, that he was in ECW beforehand, was Full-blooded Italian. Tony yeah. Mamaluke. Tony Mamaluke, thank you, Benno. Yes, I knew he was Tony someone. There you go, Tony Mamaluke, yes. Slightly so, less offensive name. <laughs> slightly, yeah. <laughs> Only slightly. <laughs> Named after a meatball now instead, yes. Um, so, yeah, Courageous comes out holding hands with Medusa. The two of them look smitten with one another. Um, it will never last, obviously, is wrestling. Um, we then go backstage. We see Disco crawling to the curtain. He looks in a bad way, and to make matters worse, he's attacked on the entranceway by Courageous as the bell rings. Uh, Tony Marinawa joins the uh, ringside commentary crew once his headset works because we've still got sound problems because it's WCW. Um, it's implied that Disco Inferno could be sleeping with the fishes, as they say, if he loses this match. Um, so nice, cheery storyline. Um, it's still not explained why Disco's put some of his own money on the line as well as the title. Contrasting with the opener, though, the crowd are pretty quiet for this match. Um, Disco is mostly on the offensive, except for the odd counter from. Um, Evan Courageous um, then the the wrestling is uh, is basic to say the least I'm sure we'll go into more detail on that in a, in a, a moment um, they managed to almost botch a hip toss Disco leaps at Courageous on the floor he's countered with a drop kick to the midsection which turns the tide in favour of the challenger um, they're now loud, boring chants from the crowd. Uh, Disco then jumps to the floor to badmouth Medusa, who slaps him in the face. Tony Marinara then starts talking to Medusa at ringside. That distracts Courageous. Courageous grabs Marinara by the throat. Disco gets a chair. He goes to hit Courageous, but accidentally lays out Marinara instead. Courageous then hits a springboard crossbody block, which they nearly screw up, for the three count in eight minutes, 28 seconds, to become the new Cruiserweight champion. Uh, 
slightly different kind of a match, but still got lots of um, lots of interference and foreign objects, Benno. Of course. I mean, yeah, it was, you know, they, they completely lost the crowd in this one. Like, uh, and it's no surprise because, you know, Evan Courageous, I don't think he ever had the potential, never mind, got good. Um, Disco Inferno wasn't going to carry him, was he? Like, you could tell Disco looked like he was just, looked like a lost little boy when the crowd started chanting boring. And you could tell, like, the wheels were turning his head. Oh, should I do a dance? Should I go outside and mess around with Medusa? Maybe they'll pay attention then. I think he went for the for the latter in the end. But, yeah, yeah this just, this just, never mind the uh, the stipulation behind whether Disco would, uh, would die if he lost the belt, apparently, because he owed money to, was it Tony Marinara's dad or something? He was doing a very obnoxious like mob character on commentary it was uh, very heavy-handed but never mind that i think disco literally died in this match and this this match died for the crowd as well and it it felt every bit of the uh, the eight minutes it was yeah i mean he was he was only in his like third year as a pro at this point so he's yeah, pretty inexperienced yeah yeah, so there yeah. we go about the whole russo giving youngsters a chance this is you know he he will literally do it to 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 absolutely anyone and everyone going and there's there's no sort of well hang on a second are they ready are we doing mm. this are we doing this in the right amount of moderation um well they were hinting that someone would die when you know at the end of this match and as a result it was the match itself there's a certain irony there and yeah you, you're right you're right benno this um the the commentary shtick from uh tony was just unbearable he's just repeating the same hackney cliched tripe over and over again that presumably Vince Russo has like seen on the film he watched the, the night before uh, but what made me laugh most about this was that you've got Disco Inferno in there who since then with, with the benefit of hindsight has spent many years going on a sanctimonious social media rants about uh, the spot monkeys and the people who can't wrestle properly about how it needs to be about engaging the fans with storytelling and character and all that and there he is doing the blandest fucking cruiserweight match you've seen in your life and getting boring chance. So uh, do as I say, not as I do, apparently, when Glenn Gilberti <laughs> embarks on Twitter. Um, this match, oh my God, this was bad. And, and the thing, it, it would get worse to Cruiserweight Division from here because, yeah, you said they wouldn't last, Dean. Yep, it'll be Medusa versus Courageous for the title at the next pay-per-view. And there then Medusa go. versus Oklahoma, which is Ed Ferrara doing a really distasteful Jim Ross impersonation. Oh, we'll, we'll get to the next pay per view. Don't you worry about that. But yeah. that's but that's the that's the story of the cruiserweight title yeah. at this point, and it's it said. Oh, by the way, there is a, a not that it helps much, but there is sort of a storyline to why he's putting up his own money. Basically, he owes twenty five grand to Marinera and his family. Apparently, so this is his desperate way of trying to raise the funds to pay him off. Which then begs the question that if he needs 25k, how is he putting up 25k in this bet? Yeah. Who needs logic? Yeah, who needs (laughs) logic? Is the answer because WCW? No, it's because Vince (laughs) fucking Russo. Russo, yeah. But but also the thing with, with, with this that got me was that there didn't seem to be any significance to the pre-match attack on Disco. It wasn't like he got attacked and then lost the match in, in a minute because he'd been attacked. He got, like he comes to the ring and then just has a regular match. 
Yeah, but if they didn't do that, Dean, there would have been the ending of one match followed by the entrance of another one. And and what what who the hell does that sort of dead air? Ah, uh, we have to have a skit in the middle. Yeah. You know, there there were no <laughs> remember there were no poppets, there were no fidget spinners back in this day. So apparently Vince just had to write a bunch yeah. of random stuff to uh <laughs> to get rid of his ticks. <laughs> You it's mean a pay-per-view that... and he's still scared people are going to change the channel. That's been too short. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, uh, yeah, you, we, we talk about backstage segments and we go straight to the backstage and we see Bret Hart arrive at the venue. We then switch to see Jeff Jarrett get lambasted by um, an off-camera Vince Russo. I'm, I don't think it's identified as him at any point, but it's, it's clearly his voice. Um, Jarrett has the rest of the evening to prove himself, apparently. Uh, we then go backstage to Mean Gene interviewing screaming Norman Smiley, who's dressed in Toronto Maple Leafs ice hockey gear for the local pop. Um, and Smiley gets freaked out by someone dropping a metal tool off camera. And we're then into our third match after three little backstage se- segments. Um, and this is for the inaugural WCW hardcore title where uh, Brian Nobbs, accompanied by Jimmy Hart, takes on Norman Smiley. So, yeah, they've um, they've obviously taken this concept from the WWF because that's where Vince Russo has come from. Um, the opening minutes are most of them hitting each other with those thin metal rubbish bins and Smiley using the ice hockey stick he brought with him. Nobbs then starts trying to strip Smiley of the protective pads he came to the ring wearing. Um, they fight down the aisle, Nobbs repeatedly hitting Smiley over the head with a bin lid, and then they go to the backstage area. Smiley gets hit with another bin, Nobbs gets a table out, he drops it against the wall, throws Smiley through it. Um, they are fighting through piles and piles of cardboard boxes for some reason and food supplies. Um, they then fight in the lift or the elevator for our American friends. Um, the door shuts. When it reopens, Hart tries to hit Smiley with another bin, but hits Nobbs by mistake, which allows Smiley to get the pin to become the first WCW hardcore champion. Because obviously getting hit by Jimmy Hart with a thin metal bin is enough to knock you out for three seconds. Um, an angry Nobbs then hurls Hart into a bunch of burger buns. I really did say that, didn't I? On pay-per-view. Um, your thoughts on this one, Benno, our inaugural <laughs> hardcore championship match. Another great Bruce L. Well, it worked in the WWF. We got Road Dog over, so let's uh, let's do the same thing, have a hardcore division. Like, I'll be honest, I remember being, like, I would have been about 15 around this time, and uh, I've got distinct memories of being at that, uh, you know, that WCW house show tour the year after. Yes. Um, yeah. well, I'm, I'm being a massive fan of this iteration of Norman Smiley. I'm not saying I was a smart 15 year old, but for whatever reason, I really enjoyed this at the time as an age well. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it is, it's just, a, it's just a load of interchangeable weapons shots. They all look like they made a tinfoil. Nothing looks good. It's getting Brian Dobbs back on TV as if we needed Brian Dobbs back on TV. And yeah, Norman Smiley was over um, at that point, but there's definitely more interesting things you could probably do with Norman Smiley. Yeah, but I, I don't know about you, Benno, but to, to me, and, and this is purely watching something from 1999 with 2021 eyes, but mm. all the, the shots to the head, even though it's thin metal objects made to make a noise, but all the shots to the head make me kind of shuffle awkwardly in my seat yeah you never you never know um what they're going to use next and like you say most of it's like it is like 
made of plastic or made of polystyrene and none of it particularly looks brutal but yeah it's 90s wrestling so you never know what weapon they're going to pull out next and what daft thing they're going to do not worth it for the 1999 WCW uh, <laughs> hardcore division to say the least yeah well there was that one shot i don't know if you guys remember that after the pinfall uh and obviously knob shakes off immediately gets up and absolutely clobbers smiley on the back of the head and you see Smiley's head just jolts from the impact, especially because he doesn't see it coming. That one, uh, that one was a bit cringe for me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fair to say the the, the whole um, the hot period, the zeitgeist for for having a hardcore division had long gone. There were there were some. Do, do you remember there was like the the feud with um, Raven and Hack and Bam Bam Bigelow, mm. and it really had a bit of fun to it, and it was still a thing at the time. Uh, and they did they did it with a certain vigor, and they obviously they use, they used some different stuff and a bit of creativity, and it really caught on. But yeah, a few months after that, we were just relegated to all these uh, trash can shots, oh, and junkyard battle royal, which we covered on the previous episode, and oh, hopefully God. I'll never have to watch again. But I've got to admit, <laughs> when you when you say Benno about liking uh, screaming Norman Smiley, yeah, it's a dumb gimmick in a dumb division. But for me, and I think Dean agrees with me here because we've discussed it before, it's just a testament to how great Norman Smiley is. He makes yes, it yeah. work. He gets reactions from the crowd just because he's he's so funny in the role, even though half the time he has to remember to scream. Because he, he, <laughs> he gets hit, he gets hit, he gets hit. He sees the cameras there and he goes, ah! you know. Uh, and as we've said on other matches, I, th- I think the um, that John Tenter, Bubba Rogers feud is a good recent example, Dean. But I will give bonus points for a good old-fashioned bit of old-school Jimmy Hart backfiring. So that was a classic. <laughs> that was a classic hill backfire finish, wasn't it? Where they're both oh, yeah. both in the elevator and he just does this random shot and hits his guy. That made me laugh. But apart from that, yeah, that, that is pretty much just a few redeeming uh, yeah. qualities in a in a sea of shite. <laughs> We then see a video package highlighting the feud between the filthy animals and the revolution, which is our next match. Um, and when have uh, backstage interviews with Perry Saturn, who doesn't make any sense, but that's his gimmick at the time. And the revolution saying, well, not an awful lot. Um, we then have more backstage skits with Disco Inferno and Tony Marinara and uh, Jarrett and Creative Control walking backstage with a two by four looking for someone. So that's another three segments between matches. So match number four, it is an intergender elimination match which pits the revolution of Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko and Asia with Shane Douglas versus the filthy animals of Eddie Guerrero, Billy Kidman and Tori Wilson. And they're accompanied by Conan. Uh, so Douglas joins the commentary booth and surprise, surprise, his headset doesn't work at first. Um, the speculation in this match is that it could end up with Asia or Tori facing all three of their opponents. Um, we start off with Guerrero and Malenko, followed by a series of dives to the outside. Um, a face-painted fan tries to attack Malenko with a uh, Canadian flag. And we then get Asia and Tori Wilson fighting briefly with Tori selling her ankle big. Um, Guerrero tends to her. Kidman tries to intervene but gets shoved by Eddie straight into a roll-up for Malenko for the first fall, eliminating Kidman in about three minutes. Um, they continue to argue and shove each other. With Tori injured, Guerrero is effectively facing all three opponents himself now. Conan leaves ringside to join his tag team partner Kidman back in the dressing room. 
Um, Asia executes a delayed vertical suplex on Guerrero, which the fans applaud her for, not realizing obviously it's Guerrero doing all the work for that move. Guerrero lands a Hurricane Rana, grabbing Malenko's leg to cover for a three count after five minutes to eliminate Malenko. Asia's working over Guerrero. She holds his arms behind his back for a Saturn super kick, but he moves and Saturn nails Asia by mistake. Saturn gets thrown out of the ring. Guerrero climbs to the top for a a frog splash on Asia to eliminate her after six and a half minutes, which leaves Saturn on his own against Guerrero and theoretically Tory Wilson. Um, Saturn hits a Death Valley driver on Guerrero for a close two count as Douglas vents his fury at the commentary desk. Saturn misses the top rope elbow drop. Um, Guerrero goes to tag Tori, realizes she's injured, so he tries for another Hurricane Rana. This one gets a two count. Uh, Saturn clamps on the rings of Saturn for an, a submission, which eliminates Guerrero after 10 minutes. So we're left with Saturn against a very worried-looking Tory Wilson. She kicks Saturn low for a two-count. Douglas leaves the commentary desk, hops onto the apron with the referee distracted. Saturn lands a low blow on Tory for the win in 10 minutes 55 to win the match for the Revolution. And breathe. Benno, your <laughs> thoughts on a very busy 11 minutes of action? I mean, the key line there is satin pins Tory with a low blow like that. <laughs> you got to protect Tory at all costs. You know, that's the star in the match. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, the crowd treated her like she was as well. It was sacrilege here and there. Those Tory chants when, uh, when the lads were in there trying to uh, trying to pull something out here. You know, there's a lot, a lot of good talent in this match, but you wouldn't really know it just because, again, the overbook mess that it is, the, the elimination stipulation, which, you know, is okay. You want to do a Survivor Series type match, but not in the amount of time these lads are uh, and ladies are given. Um, it just doesn't work. And you just look at this match and just think, God, that Billy Kidman, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Perry Satin would love them to be doing anything else on this card instead of here and it's about asia and tory wilson isn't it and you know uh neither of them are are really up to much when it comes to the ring uh no safe to say and of course we've we've mentioned before but it's worth mentioning again asia spelt a-s-y-a uh, was the answer to China, spelt C-H-Y-N-A, because, of course, Asia is bigger than China. <laughs> There's number two. Oh, it's oh. petty. It's so petty. <laughs> you know I, mean, I, I really hate professional wrestling sometimes. I really do. <laughs> I mean, I was just about to say, one thing, one thing about AEW is that as much as they are trying to rival WWE, there there hasn't been this petty taking shots at them. Oh no, I won't much. go. Let, listen, listen. Yeah, I'm a big AEW fan, blat- and I not won't that go blat- Mister Br- I mean, Mister Brody Lee, the yeah, sledgehammer to the front. True, yeah. true. There's yeah. been there's, there's been a throne, few yeah. but, sloppy um, shot. What was that again? That sloppy shop uh, shout from Taz as well, talking about uh, WWE's. Uh, was it about that like that COVID issues? I think I remember that was being one. It was all. I mean, let's say Triple H started it though, calling them a piss on company. So I think when you're AW, you're allowed to fire back. Yeah. And we did have was it um, CM Punk the other week saying that it's the first time professional wrestling's been in New York for however many years. <laughs> oh no! To, to be fair, the, the CM Punk lines because he's he, he's not been too uh, obtuse with it. And because you know he's got he's had some genuine grievances, I think he's the one guy on the roster who can come out and say things like yeah. uh, 
like oh, I've got my passion back now and I haven't had it for so many years because that's believable but some of the other stuff is it's borderline yeah. voodoo kin mafia and, and stuff like that all stuff <laughs> that you see from it makes you think Vince Russo is having a little hand in AEW which is like everyone's nightmare scenario I think <laughs> yeah definitely stick oh, to yeah. the Batman podcast with R.D. Reynolds yeah um, we go backstage you'll be surprised to hear after that match where we see Buff, Buff Bagwell being attacked in his dressing room by Jarrett and Creative Control how many so, Jeff Jarrett appearances on the show is that now are um, we, do, are we doing will, a, a ticker a counter we should be well yeah. We, well we've we've had we've had um, the match then we had the instant attacking Disco then we've had him roaming around with a 2 by 4 him being told that he needs to prove himself and now this segment, so Just that makes five. five. And we've had and how also, many matches? Four. We're coming up to match number five, and we've now had <laughs> two. We've had two wrestlers being attacked before their match. Oh, uh, and there's there's people still on social media defending him. They they so still that... insist that 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 this era of wrestling is what we need to aspire to. Oh, it's hurting me just saying it. Oh my days. Let's move on to match number five. It's a loser must retire match. Obviously, the loser. (laughs) Now, I can't stress this enough, gentlemen. The loser of this match, right? They can never wrestle again. And that is it. That is it. Yeah. They can never wrestle again. Perish the thought that the loser of this match will be reinstated in less than one month's time. Okay, let's just, just put that to, thought right out of your heads. To be um, fair to them, they do the best to avoid the wear retirement. They just keep saying over and over again, loser hangs up their boots. So maybe they just meant, that, that was literally what they meant, he's going to hang his boots up nicely. Or, and, on a pole, the you know. Would they be hung up on a pole for the next match? Oh, oh don't give Russo any ideas. Well, if it, I was going to say, if it is Russo, yeah. Or, or a forklift truck or something. Um, so, but but what I don't understand is that if you've got a loser must retire match, so, you know something of such magnitude, but we don't have a video package or anything to tell us how we have arrived at this point. That's because we have no mm-hmm. how we've arrived. They're two guys it's who've true. been beaten up by the powers of being the heavies, and they're just like, we don't like you. One of you has to go. Yeah, there's that there's that high stakes match for you. Uh, but then even then they could have just showed a package to show that bit. But hey, do you know what the uh, sad part is though? Even though we say that, and I know technically WWE did get better after Russo left, but just just to emphasise that they didn't get immediately better. Uh, we still haven't yet had the point where. The uh, the Helmsley McMahon regime, you remember that storyline? Yeah, that's yeah, about six, six weeks away in in this timeline, and they would do a thing where they're running rushed over it, and they would make uh, was it was it the Rock and Mankind had to fight in a pink slip on a pole match? <laughs> so so not worth. Anything worse than Russo is budget Russo, isn't it? So, <laughs> yeah, so it's the same stipulation. Oh, yeah, we don't like you two guys. We're going to make one of you get fired. Almost like a Coliseum style, isn't it? Send them in, make a fight to the death, etc. Et yeah. And uh, and they've added the pole for good measure. And this came after this uh, Bagwell-Hennig match. I see. Tribute, Russo tribute, or both budget Russo, as you said. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, Bagwell, Bagwell's music plays. He doesn't come out. Um, 
creative control than Jarrett come out instead. Six. So that's, yeah. Um, all three men attack Hennig. Then Bagwell comes down with the two by four that Jarrett had previously. The others leave the ringside area, um, which kind of makes you wonder what the point of it all was. But it, it's a slow paced match with Hennig mostly in charge. Bagwell hits a slam, does his strut, misses a knee drop, and it's back to Hennig on the offense. Um, the only move that seems to get a reaction from the crowd are, are chops from Hennig, and they get your standard woo. And they're, they're very loud chops, as we said. Um, the end comes when Hennig sends Bagwell into the corner, but his follow-up charge is cut off with a boot to the face by Bagwell. Bagwell climbs to the middle rope, hits the buff blockbuster out of nowhere, and gets the pin in 7 minutes and 47 seconds to allegedly retire a somewhat emotional-looking Kurt Hennig, um, who, as I said, got, got reinstated by the powers that be a month later. Um, what do you make of this one? To, it... it it just felt a bit lacking to me. Did you did you find that, Benno? Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, that's okay. So I would want to go out a seven-minute match with Buff Bagwell. Like, <laughs> imagine this was his retirement match. Out of <laughs> uh, but I will say the crowd bought it. Like, I don't know why they bought it. Like you say, there was no dramatic video at the start. There was a match that, about the match that made it feel like it was end of an era. But there was almost like a quasi, like, emotional moment at the end and obviously it being WCW it was like to the back we don't need to show this emotional moment and they cut right away from it but the crowd bought it and were kind of into Hennig for that reason I think there was a, a Mr. Perfect chant at some point in this match as well it was like yeah, it was a, yeah. the early 90s once again so I suppose it worked in a way but yeah typical typical WCW night seven minute retirement match that yeah leads to absolutely nothing um, was there a, a, a segment after? If there was a segment after this, I haven't made a note of it, but maybe that's because um, by, by this point my brain has been pounded into jelly by all the backstage segments. But, yeah, um, um, I, I just think Sting to... maybe backstage or something. Ah, quite possibly because he's on next. Yes. Yeah, Dean. I, I I really feel the need to point out here, and you you seem to have been very flattering towards the the writers of this product when you allude to the fact that Hennig would actually come back a month later. I thought I knew around the rough time he would return. Yeah. And so I've gone to do you remember the old site DDT Digest? I used to love this I loved site that when DDT I was younger. Digest. And it's yes, still up because it's it's all text, it's still up. DDTdigest.com it is the ultimate old school resource for those W fans. Check there, are, out. there are some contributions for me on there from when I was at university in the nineties. Oh, you have to point me out to those. That's cool. Um, but for now I am on, I am on a certain, I just want to see when exactly you came back. So I've taken one guess at it and guess what my guess was. Three weeks. No, I've, I've gone to the nitro review for the very next night after this show. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and as I suspected, as my memory was hinting to me, and as common sense hints to anyone who's, who's seen this Russo shite in the past, uh, yes, he uh, did a sort of retirement speech where he got emotional and walked out. He told Buff Bagwell backstage that there was no hard feelings. He had to do what he had to do. He then ran in on Buff Bagwell's match that night and beat Buff Bagwell up and sided with the powers that be. So, of course, he swerved and joined them. And you'd like to think there's a bit of storyline continuity there where whereas he's had to join the bad guys to get his job back because they're the ones firing him. 
But uh, I also remember from the aforementioned WCW Worldwide on Channel 5 that there would be a couple of weeks after this, uh, Creative Control would leave the group and turn on them and just become the good old Harris boys again and get rid of Creative Control. They then had a tag team grudge match with Jarrett and Hennig, the remnants of the of the Powers of Bees active wrestlers group, I suppose you could say. And they did a thing where Hennig came out and Jeff Jarrett didn't come out. His music playing, he didn't come out. And so the Harris boys just beat the crap out of Hennig. And this was about two weeks later. <laughs> they're, they're packing an awful lot in those two weeks. <laughs> I wish I was making this up. Uh, if someone wants, uh, if someone wants to turn around, no, 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 you, you're, you're just exaggerating. This didn't happen. Go look it up. This is, this is how he'd run through stuff, and he wonders why nothing has an effect. Can you imagine if a TV show like Breaking Bad went through storylines this fast, for instance? No. <laughs> well, you could you, you just picture a different show that got cancelled halfway through the first season, because that's where yeah. it'd be. Netflix, be. Netflix with their uh, ever-present acts, they they're willing to cut shows that don't instantly connect. Uh, and if Russo ever wrote, oh my god, would they make it past three episodes? <laughs> You'd be mid-binge, and suddenly episodes six to ten will disappear. Because like, now we, we've we've seen this, and actually. We know you haven't seen these last five episodes yet, but we're doing your favour. We're pulling it from the platform now. Yeah, <laughs> disappeared quicker than a Ric Flair story on story time. But he knows TV, bro. He doesn't do his wrestling, bro. He's a TV yeah. writer, bro. Fuck off. I'm just going to Matt... get more bitter as we go along. I'm sorry, guys, in advance. <laughs> Matt, match number six, everyone. <laughs> it's the second semi-final of the WCW World Tournament title tournament as Sting faces Bret Hart. Uh, Bret Hart comes down to a tremendous ovation, as you would imagine, in Toronto, wearing a Wayne Gretzky Canadian National Ice Hockey Team shirt. Um, assuming it's not a network edit, he has really uninspiring music in WCW. Because I'd have thought, you know, like they did with with Hogan and um, I, I'm, I suppose with with people like Savage and Flair, it was like classical music anyway but you know how they did a pastiche of Hogan's old music where it's like one note different or something I thought they would have tried to do something like that with Bret Hart but no such luck honestly I didn't mind this particular I know exactly what this iteration is and it was a little bit more hitmany, and it was still a yeah. bit generic but I thought it was okay they had a theme song before this which was just a blatant ripoff of his of his WWE hitman theme this uh. This version yeah. sounds like it's been taken from like an advert or something, but I thought it worked. I did kind of like it. I have a bit of a soft spot for it, to be honest. Oh, yeah, I like I like the rip off version, the the, the wow wow <laughs> one, but it's just it's just it's Jimmy Hart ripping off. I think his own work. Did he not do the original Bret Hart theme as well? Like that oh, is, quite that's just pure Jimmy yeah. Hart. Still or Jimmy jo- Hart, Johnston maybe. Yeah, I'm not maybe, sure. We have to find out. But yeah, that's um. I know I, I'm I'm with you, Benno. I like a good rip-off song. Yeah, me like, too. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, Jimmy Hart was the king of that. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I mean, we've discussed DDP's music. There's oh. so many good Ravens. WCW rip-offs. Yeah. Ravens, but not this yeah, one. that's Jericho's. <laughs> yeah. Just not this one, I'm afraid. Not Maybe it's one. just me. Well, it's no. just me. But... Um, so Sting comes out. He's he's not being booed, but he's not really being cheered either. Um 
And uh, after a lengthy stare down and a verbal confrontation, Brett launches into a flurry of punches. Um, he's in total control till a low blow from Sting, which gets plenty of booze. And, and Sting is playing a, a not-so-subtle heel role here, which is understandable given the circumstances. Um, the match spills to the outside. Brett gets thrown into the commentary table. Sting misses a stinger splash and lands badly. They go back into the ring. The advantage is back with Brett, who comes off the top rope onto Sting. But Sting pulls referee Mickey J in the way, and they both go down. This brings out Lex Luger and Miss Elizabeth with a baseball bat. But Luger hits Sting with the bat in the back of the knee. Swerve. Brett then takes the yeah. Brett then problem. takes the bat from Luger, uh, kicks him low hits him in the throat with the bat and then puts Luger in the sharpshooter. Uh, Mickey J gets up, rings the bell as he's disqualified Sting due to outside interference. Brett protests the decision, so the match continues. Brett continues to be on the offense till Sting lifts a boot up as Brett comes off the middle rope. Sting goes straight for the Scorpion Deathlock in the middle of the ring, but Brett punches the back of the knee where Sting was hit with the bat, which causes Sting to release the hold. Brett then grabs Sting's legs, hoists himself up to an upright position, locks it on the same move, which of course he calls the sharpshooter, and Sting taps out. Brett is through to the final to meet fellow Canadian Chris Benoit here in Canada. Benno, what do you make of our second semi-final? Yeah, as a, as a young kid, this would have been a dream match to me. The Sharpshooter versus the Scorpion Deathlock, like you say. Probably not what I, what I imagined as a kid. I remember the moment another match was at Halloween Havoc one year that I think was a bit better than this. Um, but I don't know. It feels like Prime can't be our sting. Um, like, he comes out there in his T-shirt and his baggy leather pants, and he's just... You can tell sometimes with Sting he'd rather be anywhere else. Um, I think yeah. there's moments where you know they had the nice respect moments at the end and stuff, and you can tell he genuinely respects Brett, but I bet he didn't respect the book of this thing because it was another one where it was going okay enough, I suppose, in the early stages. And then, yeah, like you said, we had to get Lex Luger out there. We had to have the nonsense with the bat, and we had to have a DQ finish because Vince Russo. Yeah. Also, I'm sure this is just pure coincidence, but... Um the two semi-final matches went exactly the same amount of time, nine minutes, 27 seconds. Oh, wow. <laughs> two two matches, the two matches on the show, you'd probably, other than the main event, that you'd really love to see go 15 to 20 as well. But we've yep. got to get that screaming Norman Smiley hardcore title match in. We've got to get Evan Courageous in. You know, we've got to get, we've got to get all those Jeff Jarrett segments in. Got to get our six Jeff, yeah, six Jarrett ones. And in, counting, yeah. by the way. Uh, and just, just to piggyback on what you guys were alluding to, uh, as you both pointed out respectively, we've got Sting coming out, not getting booed, not getting cheered. He His performance is entirely apathetic. Congratulations, Vince. You fucking broke Sting. Who, who at the age of 62 is looking amazing, motivated, <laughs> and he's, he, he looks like he's 32 at times, and he's being used the right way, and he wants to be involved. He's, thankfully, he's going to see out his career the right way. Uh, yeah, he had some great times in TNA and some really wobbly ones as well. It was very hot and cold. WWE was a bust, but it looks like he's going to finish exactly how guys like us three and everyone else we know who, who dearly love those stuff. That's how we remember Sting, one of the greatest of all time. But on this show, fuck's sake. Well, uh, you'll be surprised to learn that we next go backstage. 
um, <laughs> with uh, Mean Gene interviewing Chris Benoit for his reactions facing Brett in the final. Uh, before we go to Mike today with Lex Luger, who is now wearing a surgical neck collar following Brett attacking him with the bat. He is massively overselling. He says that he can't compete tonight. He says he'll write a check to all the fans for missing out on seeing him wrestle. Um, as Shivani asks, how many more ways will he try and get out of a wrestling match? I've got to say, I love this. It kind of reminded me of where, where we've been doing our Nitro watch-alongs in early 96, and we had the, is Lex Luger a face or a heel? And he was basically a heel, but pretending to be a face whenever Sting was in in his his sight. Um, and, and this has that same completely insincere comedic feel to it. Absolutely. Luger shows he can do this sort of shtick and it is quite funny. But uh, to, to, to borrow a reference was already made in, in, with something else. This is a, this is like a pound shop version of that. And it is it is slightly amusing the same way Screaming Normal was slightly amusing earlier. But yeah, we, we know the context, how it can be much better. Uh, and uh, as we're about to find out, it's it's one of many faces of Lugal we see tonight because he's gone from, you, you know, he's he's gone into the Russo era as a, as part of a hill tandem with Sting, who who feuded with Yellow and Red Hulk Hogan. And you can imagine WCW fans like siding with Hogan against Lugal and Sting like fuck. Uh, and he swerved on Sting in the match. Now he's being a cow faking the injury, and he's he's got a few more storyline depths up his sleeve. I think I think by the looks of things, he he encountered more character development in this one show tonight than he did throughout that entire run from the first Nitro when he showed back up all the way through to the New World Order showing up and him declaring war as a babyface against him. There was a, there was more character development tonight than there was. Throughout that whole nine-month bloody patch. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, we'll move on to match number seven. It's a dog collar match between Vampiro, accompanied by Jerry only, and Berlin, accompanied by The Wall. Um, Again, no video package to explain this stipulation match. Um, Before the match begins, though, Steve Williams and, yep, here we go, Oklahoma, Ed Ferrara, mocking Jim Ross with a black hat, barbecue sauce, and droopy face because, of course, this was an era of exquisite taste. He joins the commentary table, and throughout the match, he mocks Ross's trademark commentary style, um, talks about Berlin's apparent college football background and how he competed in the sauerkraut bowl. Um, In the ring, we have Vampiro fighting the wall and Berlin fighting Jerry only. The other end of the dog collar isn't attached to anyone yet. Um, I've got no idea what's going on here, basically. Now the wall's got the collar on. He lands a huge choke slam on Vampiro. Wall goes to make the cover, but Berlin gets in the ring and pulls him off. Again, not like that. And the two argue. Um, wall takes the collar off, throws it to Berlin. The wall then leaves the ringside area. We now have Berlin v Vampiro as advertised, but now no one's wearing the dog collar at all. Then Jerry only gets in the ring. They're double-teaming Vampiro to abject silence from the uh, crowd. Vampiro locks on a camel clutch with the chain wrapped around Berlin's neck and wins the match by submission. Steve Williams then enters the ring and beats both Vampiro and Jerry only up. Oh, man. Um, Benno, your uh, your take on this? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, 
Come on, think of this as a therapy session. Come on now. Oh, what was going on? Like, just what was going on? Like, <laughs> that was my, my issue. And you've got this obnoxious commentary shouting over everything. And the, like, it's not even like the Oklahoma character was a good Jim Ross in, impression. It was just crap. It was just repeating Austin, Austin, Austin over yeah. over again. All of the, you know, the, the basic like stuff that Jim Ross would do. And it was, it was never funny, was it? Like, at least if it was offensive and funny, you could maybe give it that. It was just offensive and pointless. And it, yeah, I mean, it's not, to be fair though, it was distracting me from a very bad match. So maybe I should say it's a, it's a positive because like you said, I don't know what was going on with the dog collar. At one point, I think it was attached to the wall. At one point, nobody was on, uh, was attached to the dog collar. I think the lads lost track of the, the, what was going on in the match. Jerry only was in there taking bumps, which I'd forgotten about that he, uh, that he got involved to that degree dressed up as like a a mini vampiro and it was just yeah a lot of bad ideas in somehow in five minutes and they squashed them all in like again been through so wcw the still (laughs) yeah i mean you're absolutely spot on the 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 repeating something three times stick that he did throughout the match as oklahoma it's it wasn't funny the first time and it was just yeah, very, very annoying. I mean, maybe, maybe the character. I suppose the character is supposed to be annoying. You're not, you're not meant to like him, but it's, it, it wasn't the good kind of heel heat, was it? Well, no, because the idea of a uh, heel being annoying is that it makes people want to tune in to watch them get punched in the face, and this just makes you wonder why the bloody hell you're watching this, and you're probably gonna switch off. So all this fear from Vince Russo about, oh, yeah, if I don't have segment after segment after segment, if I don't have things going on, things going on, people tune off. Well, no, they're going to tune off because of it at this rate. Uh, And even though we've had match after match so far that has definitely got maybe a line four corners of Vince Russo bingo, I think this match has been the full house getter, hasn't it? We've had had major blow-off stipulation for uh, a feud that no one even knew was really happening. Uh, match runs sub five minutes anyway. Uh, said stipulation doesn't even get used or adhered to properly. Uh, we've got seconds getting in and trying to register pinfalls. We've got a really distasteful act involved. We've got said act doing really bad commentary. We've got, oh yeah, and we've got we've got a duo splitting up because you know, every, everyone's got to get together and then split up every week. So we've got we've got the whole lot. The only thing we're missing is a fucking bowl. <laughs> and no one gets over either because Dr. Death comes in at the end and beats up Vampiro anyway. Yep. So what post-match yeah. shenanigans. <laughs> I, I missed that post-match shenanigans. Sorry. Thanks for the spot there, Ben. That, that, is, that is bingo. That is Vince Russo bingo. We have, we have a winning card. Please come and collect your winnings. <laughs> Mike today is backstage with Scott Hall, who's got both the US title and the TV title after Rick Steiner got powerbombed through the entrance stage by uh, Sid on TV and was unable to defend the title. Um, Hall would later throw the belt in the rubbish where it was then found by Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Lovely stuff. Um, He says that anyone who wants a title match can come find him. He also looks absolutely off his face, but more on that later. Um, We then see Kurt Hennig leave the venue for allegedly the last time ever, something which is given all of five seconds of airtime. And then we see Kimberly enter the building for her match with David Flair later on. It's then time for match number eight, Lex Luger with Miss Elizabeth versus Meng. Um, Luger's still wearing the neck brace. We do get a video package to give us the background behind this match. 
Um, Luger manages to take his entrance gear off, but keeps the neck brace on as Meng continues to attack him. Luger then lands a vertical suplex, which Meng totally no-sells and throws Luger to the floor. Back in the ring, Luger continues to attack until Meng again stops selling, turns the tables on Luger. Um, but the crowd, again, are pretty much stony silent for this one. Um, Meng has Luger draped, draped throat first over the ropes as Liz looks furtive at ringside, getting hold of something. She weakly sprays something straight at Luger in such a way that it looks in no way accidental, even though she tries to sell it as that. Um, and then uh, Luger is apparently blinded, at which point Meng rips off Luger's neck brace, applies the Tongan death grip for the pinfall win in 5.23. Um, well, at least it was short, Benno. <laughs> That's the best thing you can say about it, isn't it? And somehow in those five minutes, they managed to cram a lot of absolute shite. Like I've got um, <laughs> I don't, seeing seeing this version of Lex Lugo with Liz with him just gives me like I mentioned earlier how show in two thousand. It gives me flashbacks to that. I don't know if you either you're, you're at the Manchester one where they played his theme for about fifteen minutes straight and he just never came out. And ever no, since that total I was, theme is just in my head. Oh, go on. I was at London. And they did the exact same thing. And I thought there was really? just some kind of a fuck up. And you're I, this this oh is God, a revelation. My mind. 21 <laughs> years later, and, and my mind has been blown. Yes, because I'm I am exactly the same boat as you. Every time I hear that music, I am taken back yeah. to the wherever it was in London that that had yeah, that music playing over and over again. And I believe um Kurt Hennig also was wrestling in a pair of football shorts from a local sports <laughs> shop because his gear hadn't arrived in the uh in the oh, on the flight. But that's amazing. Was it for I, heat? What were we thinking? What, what was the idea then? It's just I don't know. But that yeah, so it couldn't have been an accident unless Luke oh. somehow missed his cue two nights running, which I can't see happening. Because I just assumed, like, as I got older, I was like, oh, he's probably pilled up in the back, or you know what I mean? He just <laughs> yeah. <didn't> <laughs> but maybe he was both nights, but wow, that has blown my mind. Maybe. Was that the same tour where uh, Terry Funk would attack Dustin Rhodes on a nightly basis with a raw chicken? Yes, yes, yeah. that was a uh, part of it. Oh, what else was on? Oh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan working against Finley was on my show where Finley, the man from Belfast, got booed and Hacksaw Jim Duggan got USA chance. So, <laughs> of course, again, because of the yeah, but um, the uh, the the um, the ringside work of Elizabeth was was stellar as always on this one, wasn't it, Benno? You've you found the positive. I don't think it was possible, but yeah, go on. I'll, I'll, I'll sign up to that. <laughs> it's Liz. She's always great. I mean that. Oh God. That, I mean the Liam. The way that the wrestlers are positioned didn't really help, but she she in no way made that look like an accident. No, but uh, to be fair, it looked a little bit, but when they did the replay, there was a bit more of a, a vision of Meng pulling Luger up so that he was in her line of spray. That helped a little bit. But yeah, I but Benno might not be too familiar with our usual comments on Elizabeth's ringside work. Uh, might not have picked up on the sarcasm there. That, um, yeah, we, we've been watching these... Um, <laughs> Nitros where you know, Ric Flair comes out with his bevy of beauties and Ric Flair's at his absolute charismatic best and and pulling every dirty trick in the book and doing this and doing that and cutting all the promos. Woman's just cheating for for an Olympic gold medal, it would seem. And uh, yeah, then there's Elizabeth who 
can't put Stands yeah, there. can't put a pair of handcuffs on Hulk Hogan. Can't Hulk Hogan, can't yes. hold a weapon. Uh, smiles when she's supposed to be angry. Sits there stony face when she's supposed to be smiling. She she never really got it, did she? They had it right with Randy Savage, where she'd literally just be like the the valet. <laughs> some people got it like a woman did, and some people do not. Yeah. Um. So we then go backstage to Bret Hart being interviewed uh, with uh, Mean Gene, and Bret Hart says that he's not going to let anyone down tonight and promises he'll win the title. Um, then match number nine for both the United States and television championships, it's Scott Hall's Open Challenge. Um, so Hall comes out wearing both belts around his waist. He still looks absolutely off his face. Um, he issues his open challenge. Booker T's music hits because, of course, in wrestling, the sound guy knows all. So it's Scott Hall v. Booker T. Um, it's a match which Hall pretty much dominates, but Booker keeps popping back up again. Um, and that seems to be the story of the match, but Hall doesn't really seem to be in much of a fit state to be wrestling here. Hall puts Booker in the sleeper hold as the crowd's attention turns to the entrance aisle because, hey, guess what? Jarrett and Creative Control have turned up. Um, they distract <laughs> they distract <laughs> Booker in the corner, which sets him up perfectly for the outside edge for the win for Hall in just six minutes, four seconds. Um, after the match, a large, muscular woman who is identified as Midnight comes to the rescue um, of Booker. Um, it, well, it was, again, it was pretty, it was pretty short, but um, what did you make of this one, Benno? Yeah, short is probably the, the, the nicest thing you can say about it. Scott Hall is, he's already on his Toronto night out. He's already started. Uh, he's on, he's on pre-pre-drinks at this point. Uh, he's not looking good. <laughs> Poor Booker T as well. Like, it, one thing I'll say about Vince Russo sometimes is like, I think, sometimes he can spot when there's talent like he can go you shouldn't let him book the week to week you shouldn't let him book anything you shouldn't let him write anything sometimes though he'll spot like oh book a take that's a guy with a bit of potential i want to get behind him i want to do something with him and he kind of does through his run in, in wcw but he had to make him a cosplay rock hence the the rocky chance that the booker t gets gets in this match and yeah for for one maybe good step forward there's always five steps back and yeah, Booker ends up looking stupid in the match anyway. And um, yeah, Scott Hall is uh, is already on the piss. It's just yeah, a, a complete mess. <laughs> Scott Hall's already on the piss. But yeah, I mean it's um one of our our former guests, uh, my my good mate Doug Williams, and he he told us that um, if you remember when Doug was in TNA and was getting a big push and won the TV title and beat AJ Styles on pay per view and all of that push came from Vince Russo because. Vince hmm. Russo was a, a a big a big fan, a big proponent of his. Yeah, that's a if you if you let him like maybe pick the talents who should get pushed, you're not going far wrong. You just can't yeah. let him do anything after that. That's that's where it <laughs> yeah. all goes wrong. Give us some names, Vince, and yeah, that's yeah, it. yeah. yeah. Uh, any thoughts on this one, Liam? Yeah, I think the only thing I can add on top of what you guys already covered is is just to really stress that Booker T versus Scott Hall done right yes please you know mm. uh and it's just a what could have been situation again like i said about a couple of matches on this uh but obviously there's also half the card that should never have been booked in the first place uh speaking of which team what's the next match 
Um, <laughs> well, before, let's not jump the gun. Oh, yeah, man. of course, let's, yep. We have to there, have a there second is a backstage first. Segment. That's right, because... Uh, uh, do you know what? Can you imagine if fidget spinners were actually invented around this point? Can you imagine if someone had just given Russo a fidget spinner? Maybe it just calmed him the fuck down and he'd write something decent. Yeah, but we go backstage again before the next match. We see a perfectly healthy-looking Lex Luger walking around looking for Elizabeth. This is followed by a video package showing us everything that's led up to our next match, which pits Kimberly against David Flair. Now, I did start writing everything that happened in these this video segment, but it was so much, I just it was too long so basically in a nutshell david flair attacks everyone and everything with a crowbar and has lost his mind and is targeting kimberly who i think has been forced into this match by the powers that be but it's really hard to keep up with everything that's packed into that video so yes match number 10 and we're not expecting a five-star classic here is david flair versus kimberly um it's also safe to say that kimberly is not wearing classic wrestling attire either um David grabs his crowbar, which Nick Patrick says he can't use. So David smacks Nick Patrick with it. And to his credit, Nick Patrick actually takes a decent bump from it, which if uh, you're a long-term listener of this show, you'll know it doesn't always happen. Um, David then confronts Kimberly, who falls to her knees, firstly in fear, but then makes out that we're going to see the world's first blowjob on a wrestling pay-per-view. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a different time, everyone. It was 1999. It was a if I don't laugh, I'm gonna cry. Yeah, <laughs> the, the world's the moral compass of, of wrestling was was very different then. Um, that's as much as I can say, really. Um, she then removes the protective cup from David's groin, hits him with it, and then kicks him in the balls before missing him badly with a kick to the head. Um, she mounts him, not like that, and starts choking him, but then gets pushed off by David, who grabs his crowbar again. Chris Canyon then runs in, hits a Russian leg sweep on David. DDP then hobbles to the ring and attacks David, landing a diamond cutter on him. Again, the crowd are pretty silent, apart from the odd boo. Arn Anderson then runs in, takes the crowbar from DDP, coming to David's rescue. Paige and Kimberly both leave the ring, and David then attacks Arn from behind with the crowbar. There seems to have been no real decision in the match. It just fizzles out if it ever fizzled in to begin with um medical personnel come out to put on on a stretcher this segment takes almost as long as the match itself with on selling it like he's paralyzed while the crowd ignore it all choosing to chance take it off to someone in the crowd instead uh well it wasn't a classic we weren't expecting it to be a classic was this was this bearable berno I think Vince Russo saw Bueller and Fonzie once and thought, I can do that, but better. And then he booked this. I think that's what happened there. Like, I'm, <laughs> I've got to throw a couple of, uh, like, I've got to throw a plug in for the grapple app because I thought, this was so bad. I don't even know what the, the grapple rating it is going to be for it. And I was looking <laughs> through the, the, the app and there's been a few one star matches on this show. Vale and Vampira got one star. Meng and uh, Alex Luger got uh, just under a star as an average. This one, average rating from our, our grapple users. 0.5 of a star. <laughs> I don't think I've seen a lower rating, and I feel I feel like it should be lower. I feel like I might have to have a way with Gareth who runs the grapple app and see if we can get negative stars either, because he's never uh, he never wanted to do it, but I think if he saw this match, he'd uh, he'd probably go for it. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's the fact that on top of everything else, there's just no decision. It just it yeah. just stops. Just like everyone just gives up. We just know that. 
you know what? Let's just go back to the back. This is can't be asked. Yeah. Uh, do you know what my favourite part of this match is, guys? What? You've got Kimberly, the yep. uh, the non wrestler female, who's being forced into a match when she doesn't wrestle against this unhinged crowbar wielding psychopath who's been stalking her for <laughs> weeks, and Kimberly is the heel. There, there's, there's a, there, yeah, there is a massive psychological oh, inquiry man. that could be made into Vince Russo, very similar to sort of uh, papers that are written about how horror films are uh, are put together. Like the old horror films always have these, just these crazy misogynistic tendencies in them. Oh man, this is, this is just a, this is a shrink session just waiting to happen. This whole thing, but I will point one thing out. Um, the whole David Flair going psycho, given that he can't really wrestle and he's crap at that, yeah. I actually really dug the whole psycho character. And little things like him just waffling the the referee with a crowbar right at the start of the match. If he was the only person doing that sort of shit on the entire show, if we didn't just have a show full of nonsensical stuff and people getting attacked and all that, if this was a regular wrestling show and he was the character that came out and hit the referee with a crowbar before the match even started, I would be loving it. I'd be pissing myself laughing. It'd be really cool. And we knew he got a little bit better when they added some actual capable hands to his act. In, uh, yeah. in Crowbar, great wrestler Devon Storm, and of course Daphne, who we unfortunately lost very recently, uh, and that whole act was was a lot of fun to be honest. And so there there, there was just that little glimmer of hope there. But in a wrestling match against someone who doesn't wrestle, uh, probably wrestles better than he does, but doesn't wrestle strictly speaking. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's sad. I didn't realise that yeah, Kimberly was the heel that bit past. Pass me by, but well, yeah, she's um... acting. She's acting heels throughout on DDP, who she seconded was still very much a heel. Uh, yeah. we, and, like we, the, the the video package shows Bam Bam Bigelow getting involved. We see Chris Canyon running out here, so we've still got the yeah. remnants of the triad, yeah, which was a triad, group. yeah, one of the few highlights of WCW in '99, really, the triad group. Uh, so oh, of yeah. course they'd be split up very fast and feud with each other for about a week and a half. That's when we get Chris Champagne Canyon. Do you remember that? Yeah. Clarence yeah. Mason as his manager for about two weeks. Poor oh. Canyon. He deserved better. Yeah, I've not seen the um the, the dark side of the ring that was out about him. I've, I need to catch up on that one. But um, yeah, I think you have to be in the right mindset for the dark side of the ring. I don't do you? not have the heart <laughs> yeah. to watch that episode. It will make me sad yeah. and very angry at the same time, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, so um, up next is uh, Goldberg v Sid Vicious. God help us all. So here's a video package telling us how we arrived at this point in time. Um, they've basically been attacking each other and making each other bleed for the past few weeks. So this is an I quit match between Sid Vicious and Goldberg. Um, Sid attacks Goldberg on the apron before he can even get into the ring. Um, must be said, though, fair play to them. The crowd are into this from the very first moment. Um, Goldberg lands a power slam in the opening 20 seconds. Sid then takes over, hits a big choke slam. The ref reminds him there's no pinfall, so Sid goes for another choke slam. Um, the ref doesn't have a microphone, which is the usual practice for an I quit match. Sid is choking Goldberg, but he won't quit. 
Goldberg locks on a short arm scissors to re- regain the momentum in the match and peppers Sid with punches in the corner. Um, the commentators speculate that Sid is hurt. He's certainly looking in trouble. Um, Goldberg locks in a Cobra clutch with hooks and the referee stops the match because Sid looks to be unconscious after a mere five minutes, 30 seconds. And the crowd responds with a chorus of boos. I think it's safe to say he's not as popular or Goldberg is not as popular in Canada as he is in America. Cause I believe he'd been, um, he'd been feuding with Bret Hart prior to this. Hadn't he? Was, is that before this? No, or after do you this know what? I with, think, the, I think with the steel plate. What did, yeah, was I was going to ask the angle. Yeah. I think what this was, uh, that was been documented by a few like writers at the time was that Toronto is very much WWF territory. And Sid, uh, while Sid had bounced back and forth, he obviously had a couple of significant runs in WWE and was well known by him. Whereas uh, I saw, I think it was Scott Keith, another former guest of the show, who who obviously lives in Canada, so he'd know a little bit more first-hand perhaps, uh, who theorised that it was a case of um, WWE trying to say, you know, they... They put most of their energy, the WWE, into slinging mud at competitors and they do with their own stuff. And they tried to cultivate this um, this image for the longest of time that Goldberg was just a bad Steve Austin ripoff. And outside of the bald head and the black trunks, people who watch wrestling know they're, they're actually not that similar at all. But uh, WWE militants would eat that up with a spoon and... With this being mm. a Toronto market, who's very much into WWE, it appears that they they did indeed buy into that. So they were pro Sid and anti Goldberg, and that was that, that was uh, obviously second hand accounts, but I've seen that theorised a few times. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, oh, fair enough. Okay, so um, Benno, it's a five and a half minute I quit match. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they did get the, the Sid like the popular. Him being popular, it did it gave me some flashbacks to Survivor Series '96 in New York when he was inexplicably a babyface there too, but yeah. nowhere near the match. <laughs> like, did anyone ask for for Sid to do a submission match? Like, he he looked lost. He looked like a lost little boy at this thing. And yeah, Goldberg didn't didn't look much better either. He looked like he was not enjoying the uh, the heat that he was getting in this. Didn't seem that the Goldberg was mature enough to uh, to to work into it in any way. And it just yeah, what well, goes five minutes rubbish finish which the crowd do anyway as well like i'm thinking of cobra clutch apparently that was goldberg's submission finish okay um and yeah bad like i think if you've only got five minutes like i've got a soft spot in my heart for sid but like i would if, you, if, if that's all the time you've got just have goldberg smash through him just 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 go with that you know that's gonna work to a point and at least be entertaining mm. even if the crowd still shits on goldberg instead we got these two trying to work holes and it uh, wasn't a pretty sight yeah, I mean, play to strengths is usually how he should play these things as a booker. But um... yeah, this is actually one of those old matches that would actually have benefited from the more modern situation. I mean, I, I hate it at the minute because it's been done to death. But imagine of all the matches that happened a generation ago that could have had the finisher spam fest route, where they just come out and they they hit spears, jackhammers, choke slams, and power bombs mm. until someone mm. stays the Heyman special. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, uh, and that could have been done here, really. And it would have been a yeah. bit better. But then they still would have had the I quit stipulation that they put on themselves and then they chose not to honour. No wonder the fucking thing's in the toilet. 
But I mean, yeah, because to, to me, an I quit match is where the ref's got a microphone and the guy you know, is in a, a hold in a submission and it's like, do you quit? Ah, God, no. And, and, thump. Yeah, I mean, microphone to the head every time. Yeah. Do you quit? I mean, the, no. Thump. Do you quit? No. Thump. And I love it. That's not criticism. I love that part. Yeah, and I mean, you look at my, I mean, my, my favourite I Quit match, and I am biased, is, is Clash 9, Flair v Funk. I know we haven't, we, we'll cover that one day, I'm sure, but that to me is just an absolute classic how an I Quit match should be. Cool. Okay, let's move on to. Um, Oh, no, of course. We've got to go backstage yet. Um, mean Gene is le- <laughs> backstage with Lex Luger, who isn't happy with Elizabeth, who he still can't find. He tells her to watch his... Sorry, he... I'll start that again. He tells her to watch her back. Um, you stay classy, Lex. Um, and after that, it is finally time for our main event. Two great wrestlers from Canada are fighting in Toronto for the world title. Can Vince Russo let them just wrestle, or are we going to get... <laughs> All of the usual, and let's face it, it's time to use a favourite expression of Bret Hart. All the usual horseshit from Russo. Well, let's find out. This is match number 12. It is the tournament final for the vacant WWE world title, Chris Benoit versus Bret Hart. This match is about a month and a half after the famous Owen Hart tribute match at the Kemper Arena in Kansas City between these two. Uh, Benoit gets a a polite reaction, but it's clear that Bret is the darling of the fans here. This starts off at a slower pace than the other matches to give it that greater magnitude as the main event and the world title match on the show. Um, It's two wrestlers exchanging wrestling holds. Brett goes for his sharpshooter after about three minutes. Benoit fights him off, tries to go for the crossface, but Brett grabs the ropes and then the shenanigans begin. Um, The fan with the Canadian flag and face paint who attacks Malenko earlier, jumps the rail, unchallenged, hits Benoit with his flag. He then rubs the face paint off and it's actually Malenko himself dressed in the same clothes. Um, I did. Yeah. I, yeah. I kind of liked the callback in a way, but, um, but it, it, yeah, not in this. It's how, it's how casual the commentators are about it as well. Yeah. There's that fan again. Yeah. He's just beating up the wrestlers. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> it's not like, there's no panic about it. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was weird. Anyway, um, Brett punches him. I'm clearly not wanting anything to tarnish this match or the outcome. Good luck with that one, Brett. Um, Brett lands a precision pile driver, but Benoit grabs the bottom rope to break the pinfall. Benoit then gets angry and fired up, takes over on the offense against Brett. He nails a tombstone pile driver in the center of the ring, lands his diving headbutt. But in the background, we see Hall and Nash coming down the aisle. Hall pulls referee Charles Robinson out of the ring and drops him with a punch. Hall then hits Benoit with a fallaway slams the crowd boo because this clearly is not what they wanted to see. Um, Goldberg then runs in and spears Nash. Hall then hits Goldberg with a chair while Brett takes care of Hall, sending him to the floor and punching him around the ringside area. Um, the outsiders retreat while Goldberg continues to fight with them. Meanwhile, Mickey J takes over refereeing duties. Brett's leg, which had previously been injured in the TV stage of this tournament, is now being targeted by Benoit. We've got a split screen showing Goldberg and the outsiders situation because, of course, that is of equal importance to the main event world title match. Uh, Benoit puts Brett in a figure four leg lock. Brett gets to the ropes. He lands a huge superplex, which has both men in trouble. Brett continues to 
work on Benoit's lower back to soften him up for the pressure point of the sharpshooter, something pointed out on commentary by Shivani. Uh, Benoit reverses a suplex attempt into a pair of German suplexes. He goes for a dragon suplex. Brett reverses it, but Benoit counters into a crossface attempt, which Brett desperately tries to fight off back elbowing Benoit in the head, rolling forwards to get back to a vertical base. He then grabs Benoit's legs, locks in the sharpshooter. It's a fantastic sequence of moves. Benoit taps out as a fan throws in a roll of toilet paper. Um, and Bret Hart wins the match in 17 minutes, 44 seconds, to become the WCW World Heavyweight Champion for the first time as he's joined by members of his family in the ring. So that is our main event. Your thoughts on that one, Benno? Yeah, it's 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 like what worked in that Owen Hart TV match. Let's let's not do that. Let's just add a load of nonsense on top. I mean, that is a problem with the match. I will say, you know, give Rince Russo a little bit of credit. You know, this is WCW's first uh, pay per view in in Canada. It's two years late because you know they've had Bret Hart for a while at this point. You would have thought yeah. they'd they'd make a run at that Canadian market, but okay, they got there eventually. And even Vince Russo recognized, okay, yeah, we got to put Bret Hart in this main event. Yeah, let's put him in there against Benoit. Yes, let's put him over. So to his credit, they get those things right. You know, going by the grapple as well, by a country mile, it's the highest rated match on the app for this show. Oh, yeah. a massive 3.58 stars, but that's not the fault of the two wrestlers in the ring. It's the bullshit uh, surrounding them that I think uh, dilutes things and, and well, yeah. pulls that down. But, you know, yeah. there, are, there are things to love. But, I mean, yeah, it's it's a very valid point you make there, Bello, because you think about it, yeah, we have, we, we there's no need for for the outsiders and Goldberg and anyone else to get involved in that match because it, do, it doesn't have any bearing on the finish whatsoever. It's no. it's not, it's it's a, a needless addition. It's almost like Brett won that argument. You can imagine it backstage, Russo being like, no, bro, we've got to do this, this, and this. And Brett's like, okay, but can the finish just be a sharpshooter? Can we just at least do that? It feels yeah. like that. It was like a, a bargaining tactic. No, I can, I can easily, easily imagine that. Yeah. Or did, did Brett have creative control in his contract as well? I think uh, he might have. I'd be shocked. Yeah, if he didn't. yeah. Yeah. Everyone else did, didn't they? So yeah. that would make yeah. sense. And, and he got his way at the end as well. You know, it was reminiscent of those, you know, WWF shows of the early 90s where, you know, the whole family got in the ring and stuff. You know, that yeah. was a, a Bret Hart idea as well. So, yeah, maybe you won that one. Yeah. Liam, your thoughts on our main event? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be clear and upfront about this whole outside interference aspect. I'm actually a bit of a fan of the trope where you have two baby faces having a sportsmanlike contest and a parade of their various enemies and other bad guys who are just bitter about the situation come out and try and spoil it, but ultimately they don't spoil it. Um, an example of that would be, I don't know if you guys remember the Royal Rumble 95, and it was Bret Hart again, and he was fighting Diesel. And they'd already had one match at King Ring 94, and I think it was uh, Diesel's first big defence of the belt he won from Bob Backlund against the right. guy Backlund yeah. beat and they're both baby mm. faces and they're doing a, the, the slow build up and through the match you have guys like uh, Owen Hart Bob Backlund, bunch of other hills all get involved because they don't like these guys, they're, they're feuding with various aspects of it and um, 
and the referee says, nah, that, that's all gone. This match is going to continue. And annoyingly, uh, it ends in a, in a, in a non-finish because like all of the, all of the bad guys who've done like cameos on their own or in small groups all come out as a, as a gang at the end and, and beat the crap out of both of them. And they fight back and clear the ring and show respect. I don't mind that to an extent. But this is not the time or the place, and we've had enough garbage. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. All we're yeah, we're we is is yeah, the time and the place definitely. Yeah, and um, I'm just surprised that with all the different hills that stuck their nose in, I'm surprised we didn't get Jeff Jarrett appearance number eight. That's the one <laughs> stunner about this. That is the one time Russo's tried to swerve us on this show and it succeeded. He has really caught us off guard. He's really kept us guessing because he's finally delivered a segment that didn't feature Jeff Jarrett in it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good point. Well made. This is Lance Storm. And if I can be serious for a minute, you're listening to Because WCW. Your overall thoughts on this one, Ben? I mean, you know, from from top to bottom, what would how would you how would you sum this one up? The match or the show? The whole show. Oh, crap! But you know, <laughs> I had a good time. Like I laughed at it. I think I think I, I laughed at it, and at times maybe not with it. But you know, I've got this 1989 like period of WCW. It's obviously not the the period. You know, we all hold close to our hearts. It's you know uh, coming after in between some also quite bad periods for WCW and you know that we said at the top of the show that early hope of oh it's the guy from WWF maybe he'll turn things around you know quite quickly being dissipated so I've got some quite bad memories there but I did have a laugh watching it um I can't say there was anything particularly good on the show I think you know it was just said the main events the clear uh front runner as far as match of the show goes with you know a nod to to Jarrett and Benoit at the opener and it was you know there were some interesting characters on there, some good wrestlers on this show, uh, you know, a fair amount of stars as well compared to, you know, some eras of WCW around this period, but it's just summed up by Vince Russo not getting out of his own way and, you know, being overly creative and every match without fail has to have interference or, you know, we have to play that game of a Russo bingo. And it's just a, despite the fact it should be a feel good show of, you know, again, Bret Hart in Canada against Chris Benoit in a main event, Instead, you know, the whole thing just gets dragged down by the Russo-ness of the entire thing and, you know, what what could have been with a with a more competent uh, man in charge. Liam? Yeah, this show can fuck off. <laughs> uh, uh, the sad thing is, is as we said, the, the, the reason why we went for this is just because that pure trivial note of that. I'm, I'm trying to remember now if it was the, the, the number of fans in attendance or the pay-per-view buy rate. Either way, uh, this uh, AEW All Out what 2021 it was the best non-WWE pay-per-view yeah. since this one. And part of the reason why it's been so long since non-WWE pay-per-view has done so well is because of shit like this. Because the, the yeah. company circled the drain, got bought, we had a monopoly, no one could get a foothold. Uh, TNA desperately tried to build something up and there was a couple of periods where they looked like they had genuine momentum, both around 2005-2006 when they were white hot and had so much good talent, and also around 2012 when they shockingly really got their stuff together and were delivering good shows, and both of those periods were ruined by, let me just check my notes, oh look, Vince Russo. 
<laughs> I've just checked that, by the way. There's only one match out of 12 that didn't have any kind of outside interference, and that was the five-and-a-half-minute I Quit match between Goldberg and Sid. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's right. funny, isn't it? Because, like, you know, you'll say, like, now, like, AEW does have a lot of nods to, like, nostalgic WCW. And it'll, yeah. You know, and there, there are... The, it's part of the reason why I really like AEW. Like, gives me a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. But it's not yes. this period of WCW that it's giving me nods back to in any way. And don't like, get me yeah. doing another one, lads. We're doing '96 or '97 or '98. That's uh, that's as far as we're going. You've you've absolutely. earned that. If you come back on, you've absolutely earned that. But I'll say one <laughs> thing about AEW is, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't like the fact that there's Canadian destroyers in every match. There's certain other things like like the little pot shots. WWE, I really don't like. But if anyone wants to really try and pretend that that is like the be all and end all and like the what's going to be the death of wrestling uh please go back and watch this fucking show and you'll realize that a couple yeah. of extra canadian destroyers isn't actually the end of the world agreed definitely right magnificent stuff okay benno just before you go just remind people where they can find you and your assorted projects on uh the world on the I was going to say the World Wide Web. My God, why? You I've have gone, gone back, back to, to the nineties. I have <laughs> um, on on the social media uh, world. Where where can we find you and your projects? Cheers. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Benson Richardy, where you can see me doing pithy tweets about NXT UK and you know sometimes positive things as well about Brit Reznor, the wider world of wrestling. And yeah, my podcast uh, main podcast is uh, the Grapple uh, Spotlight podcast, which you can find um, just search Grapple in your uh, your podcast uh, catching. No E at the end. Uh, also do that in your your app store, and you can uh, throw your own ratings in uh, with the rest of us. And other than that, yeah, British Wrestling Experience over at PostWrestling.com uh, once a month, where we uh, we keep the spirit a Brit Res Alive so yeah catch me in uh, all those places fantastic thank you so much for taking the time to join us and thank you out there for taking the time and trouble to download uh, this podcast you can find the other 102 episodes that we've recorded um, on becausewcw.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts from in the meantime if you don't already do it you can follow us on twitter at becausewcw facebook.com forward slash becausewcw so on behalf of Liam this is me the Twisted Genius and thank you for joining us and we'll see you again ringside